this evening. It's good to be with you. And um, we're in uh, Jeremiah 32 this evening, which I believe, looking at your program, is your last study into some of the <coughs> selected um, chapters in, in Jeremiah. And we've been given the first 15 verses to look at. Um, I'm sure already if you've got the title that I have in my Bible, I know it's a warm um, sort of summer's evening and the end of a long day, but I'm sure the title Jeremiah Buys a Field has already got you right on the edges of your seats, wondering what could possibly happen. It did occur to me that if they ever make a movie of this chapter, that probably um, Jason Statham won't be up for the lead role. It doesn't sound all action, does it? But we'll see if we can um, find some simple thoughts in, in these verses this evening. I've cheated a little bit, actually, because there's a prayer that follows. And I did check that nobody was doing... Um, uh, sort of the, the next section, but we are just going to look a little at the, the prayer that went between Jeremiah and the Lord as well, because it's all part of the same story. So um, we'll read the first few verses and um, see how we go. This is a word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem. And Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. Now Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him there, saying, Why do you prophesy as you do? You say, This is what the Lord says. I am about to hand this city over to the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape out of the hands of the Babylonians, but will certainly be handed over to the king of Babylon and will speak with him face to face and see him with his own eyes. He will take Zedekiah to Babylon, where he will remain until I deal with him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Babylonians, you will not succeed. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field at Anathoth, because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Then, just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, Buy my field at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and possess it. Buy it for yourself. I knew that this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed and weighed out on the silver Sorry, weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions, as well as the unsealed copy, and I gave this deed to Barak, son of Neriah, the son of Mashiha, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, and of the witnesses who had signed the deed, and of all the Jews sitting in the courtyard of the guard. In their presence, I gave Barak these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents, both the sealed and unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so that they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. And it does say then in verse 16 that after they'd done this, I prayed to the Lord. And we'll, as time allows, just think of a couple of things from that prayer as well. So that's the story. 
Um, I must confess that when I first read it, I went back to my email and just checked that I had only been given 15 verses. Um, On first reading, you do wonder, um, when you come to study a passage like that, what you are going to find. Um, Just before we come to this purchase of the field, let me just make a a couple of observations. I'm I'm guessing if you've been through Jeremiah, you know the the sort of circumstances and they're explained in that passage a bit. Jerusalem is now under siege um, and it is the Babylonians led by Nebuchadnezzar who has brought their mighty army outside of this city. Um, They were a cruel, barbaric people and they were on the doorsteps of Jerusalem. Jeremiah had warned the people not to fight against them, um, that there wasn't any escape, and um, that they would only lose, which had upset the king, who would have rather liked a more upbeat sort of prophecy. And um, so Zedekiah had fallen out with Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was under arrest and confined in the courtyard. So um, that's the situation we come to. It's interesting in verse 2, isn't it, that Jeremiah had a big enemy on the outside to deal with, the Babylonians, but he also had the king on the inside who should have been working together, the prophet and the king. But he was the one that had um, had Jeremiah arrested and confined. bit like us, isn't it? We fight more than one battle, don't we? We fight outwards in the world against the, the prince of darkness, against the systems of this world that have nothing to do with God. And sometimes we can be victorious out there and then find that actually we're confined on the inside by that sin that so easily entangles us. And here is Jeremiah, who should have been preaching, who should have been encouraging the people, guiding the king, but instead he's been confined and imprisoned because of the words that he said. We've got to be wise, for we fight on two fronts at the same time. We fight in this world, but we also fight in our lives to live the lives that God would lead us to. And why had he been imprisoned? Well, as I say, um, in verse 3, Zedekiah uh, had said, Why do you prophesy as you do? You say this is what the Lord says. It seems to me that in our nation at this time, um, this is going to be more and more our role of speaking what the Lord says and finding ourselves very unpopular for it. The last few weeks have been a bit of a wake-up call, haven't they, as we've come through this election. The press and media found with Tim Farron, someone that um, said that he was a Christian, and then they got onto issues that they thought would be unpopular, and they hounded him until eventually, well, he made a sort of a bit of a hash of really of what he should have said anyway, but ended up saying, I can't lead a party and be a Christian. And then the um, UDP came along, and um, suddenly they were thrown into the limelight. And again, there was this attack because they felt, or the media felt, that he was a party who held traditional and Christian values, and they wouldn't let up. They've hounded and hounded at them. Are you ready when people say to you, why do you say this is what the Lord says? Are you ready to, to read from Scripture, to tell people what God says today? I think it's going to be something we're going to face more and more. Um, I'm conscious with Claire sitting there this evening of you know coming from a country that has um, very much oppressed um, what is said, where you've had to be so careful. 
But I just wonder what is in store for our nation. Well, Jeremiah knew what it was to stand up for the Lord, to say it, and actually to pay the consequences. So um, the story moves on. This is sort of the title before us tonight, that Jeremiah is going to buy a field. Um, There is, of course, sort of religious and cultural significance to that, the ownership of land being kept within a family as it moved down from when they first owned this land and um, how uh, the nation as a whole had taken on um, land being given it as part of their inheritance and how it had to be kept within families. So it is very important to them. I know that some of you sat here tonight are thinking buying fields is just not that interesting. But it was a big deal to these guys, and um, it meant a lot to them where land was held within a family and who possessed it. And um, it plays a role down through the Old Testament. But of course, if you've not missed it, the really interesting dilemma that Jeremiah has is that the Babylonians are outside on the land. He's inside knowing that they're about to be overrun by this army and they're going to end up surrendering and being carried off. And then the Lord says to him, "Um, someone's going to come and say to you, buy my field, your uncle is going to turn up. It's a bit like if you were in Syria at the moment, or, all right, let's say last year, and you could see ISIS coming up the road with their tanks or guns or whatever they had, and your neighbor pops around to you and says, um, do you want to buy my house? Um, oh, there goes another shell. Um, there goes another mortar. Um, quick, if you like, we'll do a quick deal on it. Um, I'm guessing you wouldn't have been keen. Well, that was pretty mild, the situation Jeremiah was in. A, a, a huge evil enemy was camped on this field and his uncle comes in and says um, do you fancy buying my field um, I'm, I'm not in a position to, to own it and to, I don't know what, what the story was but um, Hannah Mel for some reason needed to sell it and he needed to sell it to a redeemer, somebody within his own household or his own family that could take it on so why did he buy it why did Jeremiah buy this field Just keep in your mind a quote from, I think it was Mark Twain, who said this, It's not the bits of the Bible that I don't understand that trouble me, it's the bits that I do. Which I think is quite good, I think it was Mark Twain that said that. It's not the bits of the Bible that we struggle to understand, it's actually, I have my struggles with the bits that I do understand, and what it calls me to do. So here we go, three reasons why um, Jeremiah bought the field first one is this and these are so simple it was the right thing to do for someone else to help his uncle to sort his uncle out in the position that he was in at the heart of our faith is our response to others who are in need when jesus was asked about the greatest commandment he said first we love god with everything we've got and then we love our neighbor as ourselves And first of all, for Jeremiah, this was the right thing to do for his uncle, to support him, to help him. Of course, Jesus, after he mentioned that commandment, went on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan, which will be familiar to you all. Um, At the end of it, he said to the expert of the law, so who was the neighbor? And um, the, the guy said, well, the Samaritan. And Jesus, with huge simplicity, just said to him, what, anybody know how it ends? The story of the Good Samaritan? 
Oh, well done. I didn't see where that came from. Oh, someone's smiling. Yeah. Go and do likewise. Really complicated, this Christianity stuff, isn't it? See, it's not often, is it? It isn't the bits we don't understand. It's the bits we do that we have trouble with. Just, Jesus said, go and do likewise. Just go and help people. Love people. Do what is right for people. If Nike had been around, he might have said, just do it. Get on with it. Jeremiah had plenty of excuses if he wanted them as to why it wasn't a very good idea, why it really shouldn't be done, why it was going to be expensive and unprofitable and everything else. But the bottom line is he was called by God to do something for somebody else and he did it. The second reason was this, that God had called him to do it. The word from the Lord had come to him beforehand um, to tell him this was going to happen. And the inference is clear. God wanted him to do it. The second reason was this, to obey God. He listened to God. He listened to what God had to say to him. When I talk to my children, I often say something along the lines, your parents never say this to you, I'm sure. You're not listening. Now, they don't mean you haven't physically heard, do they? When they say something like, I don't know, turn the TV off and do your... Sorry for picking on YouTube, but you're just sat there beautifully in my target sites at the moment. It's Daniel, isn't it, and John. So Daniel and John are watching TV, important use of their time. Uh, and, And they have this message that says, stop watching TV, turn it off and do your homework. Now they might physically hear, and of course Daniel and John, I have no doubt would immediately run off to do their home. Probably they've done it already, in fact, um, and that's why they're watching TV. But if I say to my kids, you're not listening, it doesn't mean they haven't physically heard. I'm gauging listening by obedience, by response, by what they do. I love how in this short passage, um, it begins with the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah, And then in verse 6, the word of the Lord came to me. Verse 8, then just as the Lord had said, Jeremiah knew God's voice. It reminded me of Samuel, you know, when he was a little boy. And the Lord said to him, Samuel, Samuel, when he got up and ran into Eli. Do you remember that story? And in the end, it dawns on and the Lord's speaking to you. And Samuel would get to know that voice. Jesus said out of all of his followers, actually, my sheep know my voice. Do you know God's voice? Do you sense it? When you pray, is it just, Lord, today, bless today, bless the missionaries, <laughs> bless Uncle Ralph, whose arms come off, or whatever it might be. Um, but, um, yeah, or, or is it actually that you listen to God? Do you know what it is to kneel by your bed and hear God speak to you? to read his word and just say, actually, Lord, I just sense your... Do you, do, you, do you give it that time to be with him, to know his voice? Can people really say of you, the word of the Lord came to that person? The word of the Lord came to you and, I, uh, uh, and they really sense God in this. Do you live your life like Jeremiah did? Do I? Where actually we, we rest in his presence. We talk and he talks. We'll see in a minute the prayer, if we've time, how it goes. And then, having heard the voice, that's only half of it, Jeremiah obeyed it. Despite opposition from others, despite resistance from what he might have felt himself was a good use of his 17 shekels of silver, um, he did what God told him to do. 
Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. It's complicated, isn't it, this Christianity? We do what we can, go and do likewise, to love and to bless others, and then when God tells us to do something, we do it. It's really not rocket science following Jesus, is it? I don't know why I make such a pig's ear of it, to be honest. (laughs) It's really not that complicated. It was the right thing to do for someone else. He did it because he wanted to be obedient to God. But thirdly, it becomes apparent that he did it to invest in the future. If you glance down, there's this um, sort of description from about verse 9 onwards of how Jeremiah went through the process of weighing out the silver, deed of purchase. There was a copy that was open to be looked at and a a sealed copy as well. And then down in... um, Verse 13, um, in their presence I gave Barak these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents, both the sealed and unsealed copies of the deeds of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so they will last a long time. Now, if you've got an NIV study Bible, interestingly down in the notes, it says documents found in clay jars, uh, elephantine and Quran, were preserved almost intact for more than 2,000 years, interestingly. So you might have spotted that if you've got it in the notes. So these clay jars, I guess it was all put in completely dry, sealed up, and um, these documents would last. Well, what was in Jeremiah's mind at this time was that one day the people would be restored to the land in about 70 years from now. And the people would come back. And he wanted that jar there, saying, when people arrive home, I want my family to know that I've bought this field, and it's going to be there for them. Um, it's going to come back to being their possession, their inheritance once again. We're sealing up this in a jar that will last a long time. I'm not doing this, says Jeremiah, just um, for the next ten minutes before the Babylonians break through the gate. We're sealing this up. We're letting everybody know. We're getting it all witnessed. We're putting it in the jar. Because one day, I'll be back. Or at least my family will be. One day, people will come back and they'll say, who owns that land? And the document can be brought out and it can be said, this was bought by Jeremiah from his uncle. This is the possession of his family. Jeremiah had a long-term view He had an eye to the future. Have you? Jesus said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you take a long-term view? as you live your life? Do you truly grasp the future and how it affects your life today? Do you really think through what you invest in? Where you spend your money? What you give your time for? Is it lived for temporary things that will disappear or is it put in a long-term jar that's kept in heaven that one day... Um, will come into your possession and into your inheritance. Jeremiah just had a wonderful grasp 
of God's plan, of what God was going to do, of what truly mattered. One of my favorite Bible stories is Elisha. Do you remember the day they too were under siege, where at least they'd been chased by enemy forces? And he, um, his servant got him up in the morning, so he wandered outside in his pajamas to get some sticks or something to make a fire, looked up, and the enemy forces, do you remember this story in two kings? One kings, two kings. And, and they're all spread all, all the way around the enemy. Do you remember this? Yeah? Yeah? Not if you do. I know, it's, I know it's hot and sunny, it is for me as well, but come on, stick with me here. So this, this army is spread out there, and, and the, the servant runs in and says, my lord, my lord, the enemy forces are all around. And Elisha, as cool as you like, comes out and says, Lord, just open his eyes, let him see. Let him see that around us are the spiritual forces of God. The heavenly army is here and is on our side. It thrills me every time I think of that sentence because Elisha just had this grasp of real reality, of what really was going on, that there is this spiritual, eternal world that is far more enduring, far more important, far more worth investing in, far more worth trusting in than what we can see and feel and hold and save now. And it seems to me that Jeremiah too was able to see God and to see God's plan and to know that in that jar was something that said our God reigns and that our people will come back. Right now times are dark, times are difficult, but it is in God's hand and that is where I want to invest. Truly, where are you investing tomorrow with what you do? What are you doing with your money and your time and your gifts and your abilities? Where are your dreams? Where's your treasure? Where's your heart? Is it for the spiritual? Is it for the eternal? Is it for the things that really matter? It is wonderful for Jeremiah to have in dark times a tangible hope. Because hope keeps us going. Hope causes us to invest. There was a lady um, who was a swimmer called Florence Chadwick. Um, She was an open water swimmer, a long distance swimmer. And um, she she swam the English Channel both ways, so she was quite keen. And then um, she decided that she would swim, I'm just looking for the name of it, off the coast of California, there's a 21-mile stretch um, called the Catalina Channel from Catalina Island to Palos Verde on the Californian coast. The day she had a go at swimming it, the water was ice cold um, and there was a thick, thick fog so that she could barely see the support boats that followed her. The tide and the current were against her and to make matters worse, there were sharks in the area. But at daybreak, she decided to go forward anyway, expecting the fog to lift at any time. Hour after hour she swam, and the fog never lifted. Her mother and trainer followed her in one of the support boats, encouraging her to keep going. While Americans watched on television, other members of her support crew fired rifles at the sharks to drive them away. She kept going and going, and at about the 15-hour point, she began to doubt her ability to finish the swim. She told her mother she didn't think she could make it. Unfortunately, at 15 hours and 55 minutes, she had to stop 
and with huge disappointment she asked her support crew to take her out of the water. Because of the fog, she could not see the coastline, so she had no idea where she was. She soon found out, however, that she was less than a mile from the coast. She could certainly have reached it if she had just stayed in the water a few minutes longer. Later, she told a reporter, Look, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen land, I know I could have made it. I wonder what your vision's like. Are you like Jeremiah and able to see up ahead? Or does the fog of this world come in and so get in the way of the coastline that we're apt to give up, to stop investing, to stop working, to stop serving? Is the pressures of this world so much that our vision gets cloudy and we forget who we are and who we live for? And we're tempted to give up. See, the thing is, in Jeremiah's position, you're in prison, your country is about to be overrun by an enemy, and someone comes to you and says, buy my field, how many of you would have bought it? Honestly, in reality, would you have bought it? Would you have parted with your money to have bought that field? Would the good of doing it for someone else? To obey God, to invest in your future, have been enough to keep you going and to do the right thing. I wonder, in reality, would I have bought the field? Would I have parted with my money? Or would I have said, Lord, I'm really not in a position to do it. Look at the circumstances. I wonder if the fog of this world would have blinded my eyes to a chance to invest in the things that really matter. What time do you want me to finish, Jonathan? Don't ever shake your head at a preacher like that. Five minutes, ten minutes? You're really not that bothered at all. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so just um, let, me, let me do this really quickly. But um, in verse 16, after I'd given the deed of purchase to Barak, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, As sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. And that's where the song comes from, in case you're wondering. And your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing's too difficult for you. Again, I love that this prayer, if we can, um, because in verse 26 it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Um, so they were on the same wavelength. So notice then four things about this prayer. First, it was two-way. We've already talked about that. Um, it was talking and listening. I encourage you to do that in your prayer life. Secondly, um, here in verse 17, it was based on faith in the ability of God. Nothing is too hard for you, Jeremiah said. He bought a field, currently stood on by Babylonians, he was a prisoner. His enemy was unstoppable. The king won't listen. The nation was falling apart. The future of that field looked bleak. But he said, is anything too hard for you, Lord? I believe. There is a kid's song, isn't there? Do you know it when I mentioned it? Do you know that song? Nothing is too difficult for you. No, no. He's, me singing it's really not going to help, is it? But no. Um, so, yeah. Oh, somebody knew it anyway. I was hoping for somebody younger. No, that feel made me feel old knowing it now. But there we are. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Little Kids Song was built around um, that verse. Um, and it is actually easier to sing than it is to believe sometimes, isn't it? Hey, what are you facing? 
Do you truly go into prayer and into the Lord and say, Lord, nothing's too difficult for you. I just bring my situation to you today, knowing that nothing's too hard for my God. Oh, what incredible faith Jeremiah faced this situation with. Of course, God used what he was doing in Jeremiah's life, this jar that spoke of the future, that gave hope, that said one day the people will come back, this land will be restored, Jerusalem will be rebuilt, the temple will be put back together, um, up ahead there is hope. And Jeremiah, God used Jeremiah to explain to the nation, as he did so often, through the life and circumstances of that man, what God was doing in that nation. It reminds us that my life points to what God is doing and what God is like. I heard somebody say the other day, there's the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the U Testament. You're, you're part of what people read when they're learning about God. Uh, our lives point to what God is like. I hope they do anyway. I hope, as with Jeremiah, as people look at us, they see something of what God is doing. And last thing from that, uh, from this prayer, I'm going to leave you with some homework. You, I want you to read through this prayer and see what it's like. But basically, um, Jeremiah goes back and he starts to remind God of the things God has done in, pa- in the past. Like in verse 20, you perform miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued them to this day. Um, you brought the people out of Egypt, sorry, the people of Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders. Um, you gave them this land and they took possession of it. Um, and then in verse 24, having spent this prayer talking to God about who God was and what God had already done, he says, See how the siege ramps are built up to take the city. Because of the sword, famine, and plague, the city will be handed over to the Babylonians who are attacking it. What you said has happened, as you now see. And though the city will be handed over to the Babylonians, you, O sovereign Lord, say to me, and here's the last sentence of the prayer, buy the field with silver and have the transaction witnessed. So what was really burning on Jeremiah's heart and mind, what had all just happened, was that the Lord had told him to go and buy a field, and he'd done it. And in this prayer, I love the fact that I thought a lot about this, He talks to God for ages about who God is, all that God has done. And in the last sentence, he comes to the crunch of what he's talking about. He says, Lord, there's this field you've told me to buy. And that's the end of the prayer. It reminded me, um, I went over and read in Acts chapter 4, there's a moment there where um, there's pressure on the disciples. And... um, It's called the Believer's Prayer in my Bible in verse 23 of Acts uh, 4. And the people, the Christians there, raise their voices and start to pray, "Sovereign, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke to David. You um, orchestrated everything with Herod and Pilate. And they come again down through the life of Jesus. And then as they get to the end, they say, Now, Lord. Consider the threats that are against us. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Is that just praying with a lot of words? Is that what Jesus said not to do? You know, when you pray, don't start thinking up long and 
um, convoluted words? I don't think so. I think there's something really cool here that can help us. You see, what the guys in Acts did, what Jeremiah did was this. They went back through the whole story of God, of everything that God was doing in this world. For Acts, they went right back to creation. And they said, you're the creator. And imagine, let me put it like this. What have you got coming up in your program? Give me something this week that Great Parks Chapel's doing. Is there a kids club or a... Mothers and toddlers and growth groups. Okay, so you've got some things going on. Imagine praying like this, okay? Imagine you go back and you pray about creation and the God who created the world. And then you pray about Israel and how God brought this nation about. And then through that nation, he brought about Jesus, the Savior of the world, and he sent his only son. And then through the life of Jesus, he showed us something of what God is like. And then Jesus went to the cross and died. And then Jesus was resurrected and ascended into heaven. And the Holy Spirit came down out of heaven and he birthed the church. And from there, millions of people have gone out across the world carrying the good news of Jesus Christ and tens of thousands of millions of people's lives have been changed by that almighty power and now lord in great parks this week will you bless mothers and tots because mothers and tots is part of this big story and suddenly your heart lifts doesn't it this isn't just something on the church program this is part of a story that's been unfolding from creation down through the ages to your life today and your next step is the next bit in God's big plan and God's big story and you're not coming to God to say now bless this it's on the program for Monday afternoon you're coming to God saying you're a mighty God and this is part of your plan and we are getting into the kingdom we are getting caught up in what you are doing in this world and today actually we can add in a bit more prayer and we can pray about the history of this local church and the people that you've put here and the lives that you've changed and lord right now we are praying that you will change the hearts and lives of the mothers and tots because this is part of your story this isn't you asking god for something this is you investing in what god is doing and you're part of it and you get to be part of that plan here in where are we painting that's right Isn't that more exciting way to pray? To know that God has put you here. He's called you to a work because his kingdom is heading on. I mean, if you want, you can pray on into the future and remind God that one day he's coming back and this kingdom will be complete in this world. He will reign and he will change this world forever and ever. And mothers and tots is part of that. You're part of that. And your prayer can echo Oh, with such faith and enthusiasm because suddenly you realize it's God's plan and my next step is part of his story. May the Lord bless you.